I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. Today we have a two-parter. Um, in <laughs> the news of the day, we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, joining the dunk party on Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> this is the only basketball I ever care to play. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, and his, I think, uh, I think we can... We we can fairly describe it as uh, quixotic or quixotic <laughs> pursuit of the position of Speaker of the House. And then we will talk about uh, uh, Section 230 and upcoming cases about um, uh, that could potentially reshape uh, free speech on the Internet. But first, oh, Kevin. Oh, Kevin, my Kevin. <laughs> So, uh, Sarah, could you, for those people who have been living under a rock and not enjoying uh, this moment, can you can you please describe what exactly is going on with Kevin McCarthy and the and the House? Uh, so, in the House right now, uh, Kevin McCarthy is, for all intents and purposes, uh, having his political career held hostage by literally the dumbest representatives uh, in these great United States. Um, so it's essentially uh, Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates are using like some no name Republican Congress members uh, to um, essentially keep Kevin McCarthy from becoming the speaker because they're mad at him uh, because they see him as betraying having betrayed Trump. And uh, man, you know, if I didn't know any better from this experience, Matthew Goodman, uh, I would think that having the figurehead of your party being an immature, vainglorious, uh, self-obsessed and compulsively self-interested person might turn out bad. And I personally am having way too much fun watching all these starved pigs eat their little piglets. It's great. It's, uh, I mean, I think you're being very kind by describing them as piglets. Uh, <laughs> it's, I have to say, we're now on the ninth vote uh, to try to elect the Speaker of the House. And just a little bit of, like, background on this in addition to your wonderful summation. Um, So you need them – so to be elected Speaker, uh, the person who's nominated needs 218 votes or, like, a majority of the uh, members present. Um, Kevin McCarthy has not even come close. (laughs) <laughs> uh, um, based on the razor thin margins um, in the ha- in the house, he could only afford to lose four votes, and he's losing mm. between twenty and twenty one, um, which is leaving him with about two hundred and two votes out of the two eighteen he needs, and that means Hakeem Jeffries, who is getting, who's the uh, the leader of the Democrats in the House after Nancy Pelosi has has, has stepped back. He is getting 212 votes Amazing. <laughs> each time. And I want to note, historically, we have not had uh, a failed vote for leader of the House since 1923. Yep. Um, so we have now, we're now approaching nine of them. <laughs> also, like, the degree to which this is a handful of MAGA dipshits using the functioning of the government to have Mm -hmm. their little tantrum. What are, just to name the top five things that Congress cannot do uh, until it elects a Speaker of the House, what can it not do? Um, 
Congress can't even swear in their new members. Amazing. So all of those people, George Santos included, who, by the way, it's fun. Every <laughs> No one is looking at him. Everyone's <laughs> acting like he's not there. There's literally some there was a there was a Republican member of the House who saw him and didn't recognize him. Just like, hey, like, good, welcome to the house. Good to meet you. Like, what's your name? He's like, George Santos. And the guy's smile dropped. He just walked away. Didn't say anything. Just w- turned and walked away. There are some clips uh, from C-SPAN floating around where you can see George Santos like try to sneak into like circles of actual influence and being summarily ignored as if the man is a ghost. And it is awesome. I mean, he... George Santos is experiencing like it's a wonderful life, except like, what if you didn't lie about every single part of it and everybody just has to exist as if you're not there? (laughs) You know, what could he have possibly done to bring this on himself? What could he have done? Uh, So the first most important thing is you can imagine it's important that you actually swear in the members. Right. Um, But beyond that, they literally can't do anything. They can't uh, bring bills uh, uh, unless they do it through a discharge petition, which is extremely difficult to do. Um, So the big looming thing that's on the horizon is, uh, uh, is the debt ceiling. Right. So theoretically... Right now, we're going to breach the debt ceiling in the next few months. Um, and if, if we don't have a Speaker of the House, the only way to get that done is through a discharge petition, which is most likely not going to happen. Yep. So in terms of keeping the government government funded, in terms of, I don't know, liter- passing a budget, literally yep. anything, they cannot do it. Assigning committees, anything. Yeah. I mean, anything. Like, Nothing. Not... Not only are they not like new members not being sworn in, but like people like committees is where like most of I'm not I shouldn't say most of but like a lot of legislation happens in committees. Right. Like, yes. So not only can that not happen, like usually what happens is you get your committee assignments, you start getting caught up on like what are the you know, if you're a new (laughs) member, for example, like what what are the bills in front of you? Right. Like you're Mm -hmm. so your staff can start reading bills like so that like there's like. Running the government, if you're good at it, I guess, if you're not like a person who's there to like get a spot on Fox News, you know, takes not only your preparation, but a huge team of people's preparation. You know, you have you have interns, you have all these staffers, like the degree to which this is grinding thousands of people's careers to a halt cannot Mm -hmm. be overstated. You know what I mean? And the functioning of of the government. So one of the major yeah. things that uh, that Congress does, and the House in particular does, is oversight. Yep. Um, their entire committees <laughs> called oversight committees, <laughs> and and I, I think that if you focus on the committees is smart because this is actually one of the major sticking points between Kevin McCarthy and uh, the holdouts. That yep. these holdouts are asking for a lot of different things, but one of the things they're asking for are the chairs of specific committees Mm -hmm. and most of these holdouts are relatively new um uh uh, congress people they were elected usually in 2020 or 2018 so they've only been there a few cycles and they're also incredibly unqualified like matt (laughs) gates is matt gates you know um is asking for uh uh oversight of the military for example which is one of the most important and powerful uh, chair positions. And and, and more importantly for Kevin McCarthy, even if, you know, good governance aside, Kevin McCarthy most likely has already promised that to someone else. Yep. 
So if he gives that to Matt Gates to get Matt Gates's vote, he probably then loses the vote from the person that he stabbed in the back. So <laughs> this is why there is a, um, a hashtag going around called Kevin Freuda. Oh, which I, which I think is lovely for those of you who are not, you know, familiar with uh, <laughs> with the German. Um, there's a German world called Schadenfreude, which is about in finding joy in the misery of others. Yes. So yes. Kevin Freuda is finding joy in the misery of Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> I I am like, did you watch Thirty Rock? Yes. Okay, so 30 Rock to me has the most insane and applicable parallels to like this sort of moment in political history. Like there have been so so many episodes that were like quasi prophetic to this moment in history. I'm thinking of uh, Idiots Are People Too, where stupid people unite and demand the same rights as smart people. Um, But like there's this great moment where uh, Jack Donaghy gets Kevin the page who is poor, obviously to invest all of his savings in what ends up being a junk stock. Mm. Uh, it ends up being Steve Martin, who is, uh, plays an executive who does like basically a Ponzi scheme. It's amazing. Uh, but there's this moment where, um, uh, Jack Donaghy, the boss walks in and in front of Kevin, the page, this is like out in front of everybody says, uh, you know, they're looking for a new, um, safety marshal. And Jack, who feels bad about losing this all of Kevin's money, says, oh, yes, Pete, as I recall, uh, that comes with a $3,000 bonus, which would restore all the money that Kevin, mm. that uh, Kenneth Page. And Pete says, yes, as I recall, that was the same conversation where you said I could have a, P- a per diem for parking. And obviously, this is him just holding Jack Donaghy over an emotional barrel, right? Like, mm-hmm. he he has got him in this moment. Pete, the weakest member, like, Pete, whose character is this unbelievably weak, spineless, you know, absolute jerkwad that anybody would loathe, suddenly has this tremendous amount of power over Jack Donaghy, you know, the CEO of GE. And I cannot imagine a better you know, encapsulation of what the fuck is happening in the house right now, which is like the worst, dumbest people suddenly have this tremendous power, tremendous power. And they are, because they're children, because this is the, this is who MAGA courts, like they can't, Mm -hmm. they cannot see the world for anything except for the next 10 feet in front of them and how it benefits them. And that's like, yeah, bitch, like, this is what you get. Like, this is what everybody was saying in 2016. Like you ordered, you could not have ordered this off of a menu better mm-hmm. than you did, you know? Oh, this, I love it. And it's like, there's also a good one. Uh, good tweet. I saw that said like, you know, sex is great and all, but have you ever watched Kevin McCarthy get humiliated live on TV? <laughs> nine times. <laughs> yeah. Nine times. Um, and like people like, like us, have said for a long time that nominating unserious moronic, you know, blowhards like Lauren Boebert and Mar- and I have to say Marjorie Taylor Greene has actually been surprisingly rational. She's the reasonable person in the room right now, which is, Ooh, um, that says something. Um, <laughs> We're through the looking glass now, yeah. my friend. Yeah. And like Paul Gosar and those that like bringing those people into your party, you know, uh, promoting them, helping them get elected is just a bad idea because these people yep. aren't interested in governance. They're interested, as, as you mentioned, like in getting getting in front of cameras on Fox News or on OAN or whatever. And um, 
and raising their profile and maybe you know after they're in the house for a little while then they'll leave for a reality show or for their own fox program or whatever right write a book they, have you know, whatever their whatever their grift of choice happens to be after this gold coins etc exactly because they don't give a shit about governing yeah. like the problem right. with lauren boberts of the, the with the lauren boberts of the world trying to negotiate with them is that there's nothing you can give them that they want that's exactly it right that like kevin mccarthy He's been negotiating and giving concessions, but that's not what these people actually want. Lauren Boebert yesterday went on in, in on Sean Hannity's show because that's what she <laughs> wants to do, right? And Sean Hannity gives that to her. She doesn't need Kevin McCarthy for that. Actually, it's easier for her to get on um, the Hannity show if she's, you know, fucking Kevin McCarthy over. Like, that's her incentive structure. You can't be like, you know, I'll give $500 million for, you know, infrastructure in, in your state. She'd laugh at you. She's like, I don't fucking care about my state. Like, yeah. and, and, and I think that's the fundamental difference uh, between the, uh, the right wing of the Republican Party and the left wing of the Democratic Party is that the left wing of the Democratic Party has very specific, substantive, uh, uh, legislative asks that if you go to AOC and you want her vote, she has a laundry list of things that she wants. You know, she <laughs> wants more money for health care, for child care. She wants uh, more social services. She wants higher taxes on the wealthy, more uh, more green energy. Like you can you can find one of those things and strike a deal with her. And I think that's why you see in the Democratic caucus, you know, for all of the right wing hand wringing over, uh, you know, the radical progressives and the squad and stuff like they're voting in lockstep because they are functional politicians who actually want to govern. And the Republican Party's right wing, you know, and it's about 10 percent of their members in the House are literally just crazy people who want to break the government. So guess what? (laughs) Now that you made them part of the government they're breaking it like this is not (laughs) like oh my god they're doing the thing that they said they always wanted to do you know what's so funny too uh you kind of can't help right like look at the comparison between like the gop has spent every year that uh aoc has been elected uh trying to turn her into a non-serious person and trying to undercut her authority by saying like oh she's just a bartender well she went to boston university you know what i mean and like you know, campaigned by literally wearing the soles off of her shoes door to door in New York. And uh, meanwhile, you know, they also want desperately want people like Lauren Boebert to be a serious person who barely graduated high school, has a GED, like opened a gun restaurant, like, you know, couldn't think through five minutes of the safety implications of everyone in a room that serves liquor being armed. Yep. Like, and and now here she is wielding her absolute power in this one singular moment, just like you said, doing what she set out to do, which is break the government and prove a point that individual, idiotic, low education fucking dipshits from all over America, you too can break the government if you trick the right people, you know? Yeah, it, it's one of my major uh, problems with dominance politics. Right. Because that's what this is, is this is just them showing asserting dominance over the Kevin McCarthy's of the world. Right. That's it. Um, And the problem is, is that if you're only interested in the dominance game, you don't actually care what's at stake. That's right. That's right. Like, Lauren, like, okay, let's go back to Lauren Boebert. Right. Like, let's look at the difference between Lauren Boebert and AOC, because I think this is a perfect like parallel. Right. Like. When New York City flooded because of natural disasters, like AOC 
went to New York and handed out like supplies and like checked on her constituents and made sure that like no one was trapped in their homes. Right. Like what has Lauren Boebert ever participated in, you know, uh, wildfire like you know causes like things that happen in Colorado right like there's plenty of natural disasters that happen there and Lauren Boebert has no interest in making sure that her constituents are okay like she's had two what two years four years to prove that she's an actual serious person you know what I mean and like I just wonder what I wonder what it's like I feel like there is there is this like necessary level of uh, masochism or like a, just a void of self-respect that you could vote for one of these people who like has absolute disdain for you not even doesn't care about you like Lauren Boebert would be like pissed off if someone called like a constituent called her and they're like hi I need some help with my passport she'd be like what the f- that's not what the fuck do you think that I'm here to do help you with your fucking passport are you shitting me right now I think it's sometimes like the Clarence Thomas uh, feeling that like Clarence Thomas, one reason why he prefers dealing with conservatives than progressives that he says like he knows that like when people are just racist to him, at least they're, he says, at least they're being honest. Um, <laughs> that he would rather a racist be honest to his face than progressives like pr- say that they want to help the black community, but not really um, mean it. I mean, literally that is kind of, <laughs> Uh, one of the nuggets of uh, MLK's, you know, letter from a, um, oh my God, letter from the, what's the city? The jailhouse. You know from what I mean? Birmingham like, jail. Yeah. Birmingham, letter from a Birmingham jail. And he's like, you know, the greatest stumbling block to equality is not going to be the KKK. It's going to be the white moderate. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I hate it. There's nothing I hate more than occasionally agreeing with Clarence Thomas. But like, <laughs> I, I see his perspective on this, you know? I think sometimes the problem is is that uh, it goes too far and people who genuinely want to help you end up not trusting them either. Yeah. Um, and like, so like literally they're, you know, the, the people who vote for Lauren Boebert, even knowing that she hates them, they're like, well, at least I know that she hates us and she won't help us. She won't get our hopes up. Right. Oh, that is a good point. That's um, bleak, but true. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, you know what you're getting. You're getting more of the same with her. You're getting, uh, <laughs> but at least you don't have to feel that pesky thing called hope and then <laughs> run the risk of getting hurt again. Oh my God, you're right. Oh my God, you're right. Like that's, oh, that's... that's the sort of nihilism behind it, right? Oh, no kidding. You know, you're right. I mean, you know. This perfectly explains why the people of Kentucky continue to vote for Mitch McConnell, right? Yeah. Like, it's not going to get any better. It's, it's you know, it's the devil you know thinking, you know? Oh, very, very much. And, like, I guess, I, I mean, the, the, the part of me always goes, this is why we can't have nice things. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, like, I, I get the emotional logic there, even if I don't agree yeah. with it. Like, I get the yeah. emotional logic and, like, I am the reason I am enjoying this particular moment and the humiliation of Kevin McCarthy in particular, because like (laughs) he represents this uh, vein of like white masculinity who's like, you know, he's a he's from a a district in California, so he can't win. He can't run for governor of the Senate. He would lose. Right. So the best thing he can do is cling to his house seat. And then he had to ask himself, because he has this overwhelming 
sense of self uh, of narcissism, despite mm-hmm. the fact that the everything in the world and everyone in the world and all of his life experiences show him that he is not qualified to like lead like the line to the bathroom in kindergarten, <laughs> let alone the house of representatives. But like there, there, there's a joke is like, there's only one person in the United States who thinks that Kevin McCarthy would make a good speaker of the house. And that's Kevin McCarthy. If right. he had a vote in uh, among his family members, he would get one vote. Um, right. That like, but because this is the highest he can go. Speaker of the house is the highest thing he can aspire to. Yep. He is obsessed with it and he's willing to like literally burn everything down. Yep. Just so he can say he was speaker. He was willing to let them he's now made the concession that one member of his caucus can hold a snap vote on on uh, on electing a new speaker of the house. He's willing to give every single member of his caucus a shock collar around his neck. Just so he can put that like next to his name, Speaker of the House, or like former Speaker of the House for the rest of his life. Like that's, you know, party, country, none of that matters. Who gives a shit? He just, Kevin McCarthy is like, he's, he's the, he's dumbass Captain Ahab. (laughs) Like, just hire a dominatrix. Like, if you want to just have someone like piss in your open mouth, like that is a service that someone will gladly provide to you for a cash payment. I mean, I have to say, I don't actually think he's a masochist because he does not appear to be enjoying this. Um, that like his face is not the face of a man who's secretly enjoying the public humiliation. Oh shit. Right. Oh. It's the face of a man who uh, feels, who is just grinning and bearing it because he thinks, you know, if there's a 1% chance that this comes out in the end, if there's a 0.1% chance that this he comes out as speaker, even for five seconds, right? <laughs> right? Then if in his mind, it would have all been worth it, right? Like, maybe he'll be able to get her a boner again. I don't know. <laughs> like... <clears throat> This is how all this is how they all think, though. You know, like I think it always serves us to be reminded that, like, this is kind of the the um, the vibe, if you will, the leading vibe inside the Republican Party, which is like, uh, did you watch the documentary The Family? No. Uh, it's real fucked up. It's about like the conservative group, uh, Christian group that like funds and sponsors a lot of these like ultra white right wing people, and the thing to them is. If it brings more glory to God, it's all worth it, right? Mm. So this is the same thinking that causes, like, you know, the Spanish Inquisition or, like, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, there will be no rest until your duck god submits to my bunny god. You know, it's just the same picture flipped upside down. Um, yeah. But, like, this sort of winning at all costs for, and it's not even about a cause anymore. It's like, it's winning for themselves. It's like, it is, I, uh, it's winning just to win, just to win, just to like, win. I, I want to note I, here that like, ugh. if Kevin McCarthy in another life were trying to become like assistant to the regional manager at Dunder Mifflin, <laughs> he would be willing to go through the same amount of humiliation. And yeah. Lauren Boebert, 
would be willing to do the same sort of petty bullshit to block him from doing that. Like, it's that level of like pathetic workplace drama just playing out, you know, in our national government. There's there was a TikTok that I watched yesterday that was so good because it was like, you know, the reason most people are unhappy in corporate America is because corporate America has become basically LARPing Mm -hmm. and our jobs are really not that important. Like, you know, there's no corporate job that I've ever had would have no one would have lived or died by my completion of my workload by 5 p.m. Right. Yeah. And the sort of LARPing culture of creating greater importance to the individual like and the individual's like task or like purpose or whatever has it feels like it's kind of infected everything right so it's like well yeah like your job is really important as a member of congress but like you're a member of congress there's fucking 500 of you you know what i mean (laughs) like there's like and the only way that anything gets done in a two-party system is through coalition building and man i kind of feel like everyone knew that these were not coalition builders a long time ago. And you were like, yeah, fuck you owning the libs, pissing off the libs. Yeah. If that's your only, if that's your North star, like making, you know, uh, drinking progressive tears, like, yeah. you know, no wonder people are suddenly shocked that there aren't serious people in the room. Like, <laughs> um, and, and like it's, it's fine. It's annoying to have to deal with those kind of people as you're right. And this like LARPing culture when you're at some like boomer, you know, corporate job or whatever, like whatever. <laughs> right. Like when I worked for a, a mature company, like a, a legacy company, yeah, there were a lot of middle managers who've been there forever who block everything. It's like, whatever, no one's going to live or die by this, but like literally people could live or die by this. Yeah. Um, that like they're playing chicken, Right. But what they don't appear to be noticing is that there are cliffs. <laughs> right? Yeah. And like the longer <laughs> they go, the closer the cliffs get. Yep. Right? And so th- this is funny now because I do, <laughs> I do predict that there'll be some sort of resolution, although Lord knows how stupid that will be. Um Uh, before we start actually careening off the cliff. But, like, I will start becoming less... I'll have less Kevin Freuda and more, like, abject terror um, if we start dragging into, like, March. And this is continuing. Also, like, not to sound like a fucking, you know, blue anon person, but, like, you know, Russian collusion lunatic. But also, like, if we're gonna... I, I do think that there is, you know, Russia has tried to influence basically every Western style democracy, because that's Vladimir Putin's goal is to humiliate the concept of Western democracy. Right. Like it just happens to be that like right now America is like the mascot, right? Like, so he wants to like pull the mascots pants down, you know what I mean? And this is perfect. Like what's happening right now in Congress, if this was indeed, you know, like big, if true, right. Like we're going through a lot of ifs, but like, if this did happen, if this is one of their goals, like, he fucking nailed it because this is ridiculous. You know what I mean? And when we talk about like all these, you know, George Santos and Lauren Boebert, who were these obscure, low education, sorry, but like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking at like how people enter arenas of power, right? Which is mm-hmm. usually through like the Ivy leagues or, you know, whatever, whatever. 
these nobodies from nobody places who mysteriously were catapulted into the spotlight with not a lot of discernible funds of their own, but then suddenly they're lending their own campaigns, hundreds of thousands of dollars. A lot of like, well, uh, where the fuck did that come from? Like who, you know, who paid off all of uh, um, Brett Kavanaugh's massive credit card debts? Like there's just like, I don't want to sound like one of those people, but when you examine who gets to Congress and how they act and how much power they in, they end up in you know taking up and influencing, and that they come from nowhere, they were nobody before, they mm-hmm. didn't come from any you know previously existing arena of power, and all of a sudden they show up in Congress with you know the relatively low expenditure of a couple million dollars, right? Like yep. if this is foreign dark money, right? Like if if Russia and Saudi Arabia are indeed going in on buying themselves, treating themselves to a couple of American politicians, that's an incredibly low rate. And it couldn't, if, if that is the goal, like I would say it couldn't have possibly worked out any better than it is right now. You know? Yeah. I, like I'm just, I just want to say here, like, I know that you and I both agree that it's, it's perfectly fine for people without, you know, extensive formal education to serve sure. in positions of power. But there has to be some sort, but they have to prove in some arena yeah. that they are and demonstrate that they have the, that they are ready to wield that power. And I think That's my right. criticism of Lauren Boebert's of the world isn't that they didn't go to the greatest schools or whatever. My criticism is that they've literally done nothing. Yes, that's it. Yeah, other than like fail. Um, <laughs> you know, that like I could even see like to be very charitable, Marjorie Taylor Green, you know, Theoretically, you could say, okay, she ran like a cross, a successful CrossFit franchise. Like, sure. Do I think that's enough? No, but I could, I, I could see a world where someone would see that as as sufficient, right? Correct. Um, but like, like Matt Gates ain't it, bro. Right. Like, <laughs> Lauren Bobert ain't it. Like, um, Lauren Bobert's an attractive woman, but like that is not why progressive no. like me like AOC like, that's exactly that, it you know, like you might like don't project that sort of crude sexism uh, uh, yeah. across the aisle it's that's not how we work <laughs> yeah like uh it's a uh, you know it's been really telling hearing those particular um criticisms uh on the right because it's like no 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 thank you but um we see our women as people and so like um I love it. I I do. I mean, I do genuinely love it that AOC is hot enough that it just like has to drive Republican men up the fucking wall. Like the, the rage boner that they must feel all the time in her presence must just be like painful. But the reason that I like her is because she has incredibly good policy ideas. Like, you know, she's coming at it from a pragmatic perspective. She is a good campaigner. She was a great candidate. Um, She's coalition building. You know, she is, she knows when to stick her neck out and when to fall in line. And, you know, she's a smart, strategic person. Um, and Lauren Boebert uh, had a had a gun restaurant. I just, <laughs> I'm going to circle back. And I'm saying that, like, if if AOC acted the way that Lauren Boebert did, mm-hmm. you and I would be the first people asking for her to be prime, for AOC to be primary. We'd be like, That's no, right. we, we don't need this in, in, in right. our party, right? And like, I think that that's the key point that like candidate quality matters, not just in terms of winning the election, 
This is not yeah. just about winning the election. It's about the thing you do afterward, which is supposed to be the point, which is governance, right? Like a whole ass job. <laughs> exactly. He's the person <laughs> qualified to do this whole ass job and a real job, not a fake job. It's a yeah. real job. And yeah. I guess what pisses me off is that like people who are used to like LARPing as being their job or think that that's what they're supposed to do, go into a real ass job, like being a member of the house and only focus and think that the LARPing is actually what they're supposed to be doing. That's right. Um, and I Ar think we're arguably, I was going to say arguably on the right though, LARPing is the job now, right? Like yeah. once you, once you elect Trump, I'm, I mean, I hate to like sound mm. like a broken record, but like once you elect such a deeply unserious person as Donald Trump, you are saying yes, team non-serious. Like that's what I crave and desire. It's the WWFifying of uh, <laughs> the professional <laughs> wrestling, like taking, oh. yeah. If this if if this isn't the GOP's attitude era, I don't know what is. You know. Yeah, uh, because this is Kevin McCarthy claiming the belt, and then Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert and eighteen others coming off the top rope. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Sorry, I know that's a weird rap. for those of you who don't. I've never watched professional wrestling. That's a common thing. Uh, someone gets like attacked from behind from the air, like death from above style. Um, oh, it's the best. It's yeah. the best also to listen to uh, Jerry Lawler call those moments over the years and realize in a supercut, they all sound the exact same. Like, it's gold dust. Unbelievable. Like, <laughs> oh, is, it, looks, it looks like Santino's back. Unbelievable. Which is why those games always had really good, very easy and clean sound design, because you could just get him to record a bunch of those <laughs> clips. And it would sound like the actual commentary while you were playing the game. All right. So God, God bless him. God bless the king. All right. Should we now? Uh, let, now let's move on to what we actually came here for, which is section two thirty. Yeah. So uh, section two thirty. So Sarah, you 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 told me last week that you wanted to talk about this. Why did Why do you want to talk about section two thirty? Well, there have been, first of all, we're, we're now officially in the post-Musk era of Twitter, right? And we're watching mm -hmm. it sort of crumble before our eyes, and we're watching uh, a lot of advertisers pull out because of the lack of brand safety that's happening. Um, and also, there have been some, you know, at this point, like the cases out of Texas that we talked about before have had some progress, and we can come up with some answers. So explain, first of all, what does Section 230 do? Who does it protect? And what the fuck is happening in Texas right now? Okay. So Section 230 uh, came about in the mid-90s um, to, uh, 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 to protect websites on the internet from defamation lawsuits. So right. I'm just going to reel all the way back to the 90s. Um, do you remember Prodigy? Yes, I do. Not the both the band and uh, the internet service. <laughs> yes, the web service. I definitely do. Yeah. So like this is for, for the young nuns who don't remember this. There were uh, <laughs> actual, there was AOL, but there were also a bunch of competitors at the time, including Prodigy, which was one of them. Yep. And in the 90s, Prodigy had bulletin boards where users could discuss things. They were basically like open forums, right? Right. And what happened is an unidentified, an anonymous Prodigy user uh, posted statements on one of these bulletin boards and uh, allegedly defamed a brokerage, like a financial company, by accusing it of, quote, criminal and fraudulent acts, end quote. Ooh. 
Big words. Yeah. So this, uh, the question was whether or not uh, Prodigy could be held liable for those statements, even though they didn't say it that this user posted it there. So it, a New York state court in 1995 ruled that, yes, Prodigy could be held uh, accountable for that, uh, for the comments by that user. And Section 230 was then passed the year after in 96 to overturn that, to prevent okay. companies like Prodigy from being held liable for defamatory statements by users on their forums or on their platforms. So this is why, and I'm going to quote it here because this is important. Quote, no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. And the the publisher or speaker distinction here is important because let's say, you know, uh, I'm Facebook, right? And I have the service. You can post on Facebook, whatever you want, right, Sarah? Yep. So who's someone uh, who you think is fairly neutral? Who's someone that you really like? Oh, neutral that I like. Uh, Let's go with Jon Stewart. Good. Let's say you post online that Jon Stewart murdered your cat, (laughs) right? And then defiled its corpse sexually. (laughs) Right. So I want to step it up. I want to make it that this is clearly defamatory. Right. Yeah. Because first, you don't have a cat. Second, Jon Stewart would never do such a thing. would never kill a cat. And even if he did, he would never have a prurient interest in the corpse of said cat. At least as far (laughs) as I know. Um, And I want to be clear. We're not saying that Jon Stewart did any of these things. We're just saying that you are falsely stating these things online. Correct. So with Section 230... Facebook is not considered to be speaking or publishing it. You are the speaker, right? So John Stewart, if he sees that, he could then sue you, but he could not sue Facebook. Correct. Right. And that's what Section 230 does. And the and the key thing that's coming in is that you can keep your immunity as a website, even if you quote restrict access or the availability of material. Okay, Hmm. so let's say Facebook has an algorithm uh, uh, that uh, that picks up on yours and then limits access to that post. That is not that would not open them up to liability, even though they are doing a small level of curation, saying, no, we don't want this defamatory statement to be uh, uh, to be seen by other people. That would not be considered them to be like editing it in any way. But note that this only talks about restricting access. The key problem in that is it says nothing about promotion. Interesting. Okay. So that is uh, when we're fast forwarding to today. The question before the courts increasingly is, does Section 230 also protect uh, web services or, or websites from defamatory statements that they are promoted and does that apply? And if it does apply, does it apply to both manual human curation, but uh, or, and or algorithmic curation? That was my, that was going to be my, my next and first question, which is obviously uh, you can probably, there's an argument that could be made right for accepting money 
to run an ad for something that is defamatory or, you know, false information or whatever, whatever. But then there's on the flip side, like, for example, TikTok is absolutely rife with some of the most disgusting and like misleading and disinformational um, uh, conspiratorial sort of information. Um, but it gets a ton of play. It gets a ton of views because algorithmically, the kind of people who are interested in it will stay and watch it and comment it and, you know, whatever. It really drives engagement. Is Would, would someone like TikTok then be liable if they, you know, put forward like uh, whatever, uh, whatever conspiracy? Yeah. So at the moment, um, there have been two circuits. So two of the federal circuits have weighed in on this and said no. Um, but in each case, there have been substantive dissents. Um, and the important case that the Supreme Court has taken up to sort of answer this, I want to note that this is now the first Section 230 case that the Supreme Court will be hearing. And it's actually kind of a fascinating case. And I, I want to run through the facts here because the facts are particularly interesting. So okay. it involves terrorism. Um, okay. And it happens in France. Great. Okay. So in November 2015, um, an American citizen abroad, her name is Noemi Gonzalez, uh, was living in France. She was uh, Mexican-American, first generation from California, and live and was abroad for the first time in her life. And that night, she was with her friends at uh, getting in Paris, getting a meal. And she and 128 other people died in a terrorist attack. Right. So her family did not bring suit just against, you know, wound up bringing suit in, in an important case here against YouTube and, and YouTube's parent company, Google, right. because the terrorists who killed uh, Ms. Gonzalez and the 128 other victims were members of the Islamic State, and mm. YouTube's algorithm had recommended Islamic State videos inciting violence and recruiting followers to, quote, bring slaughter to France and, quote, mm. fill the streets of Paris with dead bodies, end quote, to users of YouTube. Mm. So... They relied on the Anti-Terrorism Act, so they're accusing Google of providing material support to ISIS, to the Islamic State. Okay. Tough, day in the, tough day in the PR department at Google, you know? Yes. So the lower courts have ruled that Google is not liable because of Section 230. Hmm. Right? So even if Google did aid and abet terrorism, so even granting that, right? they would still be immune because of Section 230. Right. Um, so this is an interesting case because note that they're not saying, they're not saying, you know, Google needed, uh, everyone knows that Google does try to, might want, try to remove those videos in a timely fashion. But this right. falls into that no man's land that the statute doesn't say. The statute does not affirmatively say whether or not there is immunity for promotion. Um, of these videos and note it's not human promotion it's algorithmic promotion right um so this is an open question right now um and the ninth circuit uh court of appeals um which is like the ninth circuit 
is covers most of the West Coast. It's very, very liberal. They were divided. Um, and not on ideological or party grounds, like the liberals on the court were divided amongst themselves hmm. um, on whether or not this is the case, um, that they should be held about whether or not Google, YouTube, other internet companies should be held uh, liable uh, in these situations. Hmm. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so how would... <sighs> If this had if this had gone through, like what what really fascinates me about um, liability um, suits is putting the dollar value on uh, you know what they would actually be liable for. So what was what was the discussion there? So liability, you have to prove a material harm, right? You have to prove for defamation, you would have to pr- prove a material reputational harm. Okay. Um, in this case, the harm is very clear: um, their daughter died. Right, right. right. Um, tragically. Um, but let's say we're doing the John Stewart example, right? Right. He would then have to, he can, he might be able to, if he can't prove material harm, he might be able to win a, 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 a $1 um, uh, 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 award, right? Like yeah. Taylor Swift has done. Uh, <laughs> like people do this. Sometimes they right. don't, it's just about proving their right in court. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if John Stewart can show that, you know, he was being considered for jobs, he had contracts, let's say people picked it up and he lost a sponsorship or he lost his right. job on TV, he could right. come after the speaker. In this case, it would be you um, uh, for the, those defamatory statements and what he lost, the damages okay. he suffered because of those statements uh, being made. And how, I mean, so what were they, what were they, were they suing? What was the like? Was it for wrongful death? What was the actual like substance of it? Um, for this one, it's for it's under the Anti-Terrorism Act. <laughs> okay, so that that's what it was. It was yeah. You you Google created a uh, or promoted a piece of content that created a that both incited violence and sort of coagulated, if you will, terroristic people into you know one place, and because of that. Like, I guess what I'm saying is what, uh, what's it called when it's like, this thing is this person's business, but it's not this person's business. Like, how does the family establish the ability to sue for a terrorism thing as not the government, I guess? Yeah. So, I mean, this is because, uh, they suffered a very clear material harm, right? Um, the, there are some other issues, um, but like. They're claiming that Google created a network of individuals. Because note that there's a factual issue here as well. Did the actual terrorists watch the videos at hand? Was YouTube actually involved? Because if they didn't watch the videos, you would it's more tenuous. So they have to argue that the fact that these videos were promoted algorithmically at all basically created the environment in which these things would happen, even if these particular uh, terrorists didn't watch those videos. Uh, Google should be held responsible for creating this network. Um, I think the, uh, creating this network, uh, I think, I'm oh, sorry. The, the quote here is proactively creating networks of people. Wow. Um, okay. Interesting. Who okay. would then commit those acts. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Yes. Huh. So that again, like this is hard 
right? There are significant problems with, uh, or questions of fact here. But I think the important thing is to recognize that, like, if the Supreme Court rules broadly in favor of uh, Gonzalez, right, in favor of the plaintiffs, let's imagine another scenario where, like, um, uh, you post the thing about Jon Stewart, right, um, and Facebook buries it in its algorithm. No one picks it up, right? Mm-hmm. But then one day, you know, someone, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a uh, TV exec, excuse me, TV executive. I'm thinking about having John Stewart uh, host a pro, a new program on my TV network. So I Google it just to make sure. Yeah. And in those results is your Facebook page. And I click on that, and it tells me, and I don't give him the job. So note before we're saying without Section 230, you know, possibly Facebook is liable. Right. But now I accessed that information through Google, through their algorithm. Is Google now liable as well? That's what I, this is what I mean. Like, this just seems like, given the facts that you tell me that I, as I understand them in my non-lawyer pea-sized brain, uh, it feels like if the Supreme Court does broadly rule in the, uh, plaintiff's favor that this would create infinitely more complication like that you know what i mean it just feels like it spirals off into like this infinite fractal of like oh shit now we have to litigate all this other shit you know what i mean oh yeah i mean i have to say that um (laughs) that is one of the big worries here and i'm 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 trying to speak neutrally here that like this is an actual implication i'm not trying to do slippery slope but like if the Supreme Court rules broadly and doesn't cordon it off, then right. yes, you could have it would be you there could be multiple entities who have to be very careful about any kind of um, aggregation curation at all. And ask yourself, how does a search engine even function? That's what, this is this is my first thought, right? Like so, the only way TikTok has a pretty sophisticated algorithm. Like it's it's you know, probably the most evolved version of algorithmic content distribution. Nonetheless, it is utterly dependent on hashtags. And mm-hmm. uh, while so uh, TikTok is unique in that, well, it automatically runs like a um, it's like a captioning software, but through the captioning software, you know, it can identify what you're actually saying, right? But yeah. you can you can sort of trick, quote unquote, trick the captioning software because you can edit the captions, right? So like. Mm-hmm. TikTok assumes that its captioning software is not perfect, right? And uh, for, um, you know, uh, user experience's sake, you can go in and, and and by doing that, you can get around things like filters for cussing, like, you know, you can, you can put together the most absolutely buck wild, insane piece of content, like, you know, Bush did 9-11, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it, you can also just like hashtag it like skincare, uh, and, you know, like then Bush did 9-11 shows up on skincare TikTok. I mean, yeah. truthfully, this is how white uh, white supremacists, uh, skinheads, Nazis, the KKK have all been really successful raiding places like QAnon circles mm-hmm. or um, uh, a lot of these sort of there's like a huge crunchy yoga to alt-right pipeline right now. And mm-hmm. this is exactly how they've been able to do it is through this like incredibly imperfect uh, algorithmic um, distribution sort of system that they've got going on. So my, I guess like knowing what I know about how it works, it's like you are, 
if it gets ruled broadly in the plaintiff's favor, like you are essentially asking them to regulate in a way that right now is just not possible, right? Like if in, in within the world of user-generated content, you can't do that without human intervention. And due to the sheer volume of content being produced, there's just, you know, it would have to have like a third of America would have to be employed by YouTube <laughs> and Facebook. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, this is this is a this is a, a major question, right? Just a, it's yeah. a practicality of it, right? Yeah. Um, and let's also let. There's been one solution that people have bandied about. It's just like fine. Let's say you don't promote anything in algorithms. All algorithms do is give negative weight, right? Fall within the statute by giving negative weight to certain things. There's an argument to be made. So I want you to think about the like the sound engineering analogy. If you have like eight different people speaking on different mm -hmm. channels um, there and you want one particular person's voice to stand out more, you can do that by promoting the voice, meaning turning up the volume on them. Yep. Or you can turn down the volume on everyone else. Right. Functionally, is there a difference? Uh, woof. Right. Well, it's also, you know, the other problem being that, like, part of brand safety, like, uh, and part of the, um, the value is that exact algorithmic distribution model, right? Like, this is all that marketing is, right? Like, all marketing since the days of fucking Mad Men or, like, when they, in the 1800s, when they used to prove the weather worthiness of paint by just painting rocks out in the ocean with, like, the brand name, you know what I mean? Like... The whole point of this is to get as much attention as possible. And like in the same way that Facebook literally destroyed some entire marketing firms by their pretending to pivot to video, like mm -hmm. this could have, I mean, if, you know, the last on our last episode or maybe, yeah, I think it was the last episode we were talking about the E-clause, right? Like it's like yeah. this would be so detrimental to so many different businesses across so many sectors if this is how they have to change their business model that then does that mean google and youtube can then turn around and sue like i don't know the ftc or whoever would you know what i mean whoever would have to draft that you know what i mean i mean i i don't know it it, it depends on how all this shakes out but like i i used the example before to try to point out that like we're that the technical difference between promotion and um and limitation or like burying something in the algorithm versus promoting it in right. the algorithm like it can take on it, it can it, it can be done in a variety of ways that like i can give something plus 10 percent right and put everything else at like negative 20 or I could keep something at 0% and put everything else at negative 30. Note that the gap is still 30. Um, yep. But in one, I haven't quote unquote promoted anybody. Correct. Right. So, but is that still promotion just through, you know, by subtracting um, <laughs> weight to well, other people? It's, it's, it's a, it's a problem. And it's, it's, back to nearly unenforceable like yeah you know you can you can throttle content that is tagged QAnon. you can throttle content that's tagged january 6th but like 
the sheer that I'm sorry to sound like a broken record, but like just the sheer volume of user generated content and and like, you know, a lot of these fucking Facebook nanas doing their, you know, uh, anti-vax conspiracy shit don't even know enough about Facebook to know to like, you know, tag it with things. Or sometimes it's just like a video of anti-vax memes like, you know, what I mean, it's it's unenforceable. It would be it would be nearly impossible to track this content. You know what I mean? Mm. So all of it, all of it, I should say all of it, all of it. Right. And so like this leads us into an uncomfortable place vis-a-vis speech because the, the discomfort comes from the fact that um, this will, that that section two thirty allows speech you and I find awful to exist. Right. Right. That um, Clarence Thomas in a 2021 case, it was called uh, malware bites the enigma. He dissented and he said that there are a bunch of cases that were wrongly dismissed because of Section 230. One right. involved Facebook recommending Hamas content with regard uh, – uh, right. Uh, there was a product liability case um, where uh, – this was a Grinder where Grinder didn't have safety features, which allowed a user uh, to direct – men to sexually assault someone else. Oh, God. And then there was also a case where uh, Snapchat added a feature that allowed, uh, that wound up promoting reckless driving, which wound up in the deaths of three young men. Oh, like a snap, like a challenge or whatever. Like yes, one of exactly. those things. Yeah. yeah, one of the challenges. So do I think that that's a bad thing? That like, do I think that if, if if there is a challenge to like get out of your car and dance while it's still on and not in park, which is yeah. a real one. Um, that's a terrible idea. Yeah. Do I think that snap or Facebook or TikTok should be held liable for that? Um, I mean, that's tough. The answer for me is no. Yeah. Um, because like, I think while I believe that the tech companies need to do a better job with that content, I do not think that Congress (laughs) performing that oversight is actually a superior solution. Well, and you know, at the end of the day, like at that point, you're saying that content is as motivating to an individual's actions as like, you know, a gun to their head or something. You know what I mean? Mm. Like no one pointed a gun at these teenagers and said, you, you ghost ride the whip or I'm going to blow you away, you know? Yeah. Um, and it just leads down. I hate, I hate the term slippery slope. I hate it. Nonetheless, it sounds like a real slippery slope. Yeah. And I'm like, let's say like, okay, maybe they should just ban anything in which the word Hamas is used in which violent language is used. But let's well, say that's news, you know? Yeah. Like that's an issue. Like, let's say I'm someone who's critiquing Hamas. Right. Can I not name the company? Like, uh, can I not name the terrorist organization? Um, yeah. If I'm critiquing um, uh, calls to violence, can't, can I not quote them? Like, right. Because the algorithms aren't going to be able to make those distinctions. That's right. That's what, right? that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. And this is where human speech and expression becomes very complicated. And this is why generally we err on the side of allowing more speech um, rather than less. And like, I know 
for a lot of, I know that this, uh, that like some of us can think of very clear cut cases of things that couldn't be taken down. The problem is like, we were just talking about how fucking dysfunctional the house of representatives is right now. (laughs) If, Let's say the Supreme Court strikes down Section 230 or substantively neuters it. Yep. Do you trust this Congress <laughs> to revise Section 230 in a way that would be both pragmatic and fair? I am just going to say I'm going to follow that with my own statement, which is gun restaurant. <laughs> yes. So you could end up in a situation like gun restaurant, but we can't we can't talk about like the origins of slavery in schools. That's um I you know, this is um it's also upsetting given that it was not that long ago that Alaska's revered Ted Stevens described the internet as a series of tubes. Mm-hmm. Um uh and the the last the last group of people that I want having major influence over the internet at all, regardless of party, is people who are extremely wealthy and generally over the age of 60. You know, <laughs> like, that's not my target audience for anyone making any broad decisions that affects, you know, the world at large. But like, especially with regard to this one, I need as I need as few Facebook uh, pop pops involved as possible, you know? Like Paul Gosar, the guy who tweeted out uh, an anime meme that wound up with that basically boiled down to him killing Nancy Pelosi and AOC. Do you want that guy drafting the legislation about speech? Um, Yeah, the most the the single most uh, fragile group of egos like, you know, there there are fewer fragile things in a Swarovski superstore. You know what I mean? Like, that's not the group of people that I want making the laws that affect, I would argue, the single most important tool that I, you know, the single most important utility, aside from literally the the power that heats my house, you yeah. know? And like, we already have accused sex trafficker Matt Gates being the sole nay vote on a sex trafficking bill. Like, like, do we want him deciding what speech gets is allowable and promoted on, uh, on the internet? I would say no. Um, and I feel for the Gonzalez family. It's terrible. Yeah. At the same time, um, I, I think that in this case, that the mechanisms through which we could try to hold Google accountable they actually like the medicine is worse than the problem. And that, again, that sounds cold hearted, but I think it is in balance, the truth. Well, and you know, like you said, we can have tremendous sympathy for a family that was caught in a really tragic situation. And while I, while I understand, I 100%, don't we all understand the impulse to just say like, I'm going to make someone fucking pay for this. Like every parent who's lost a child, has had the feeling of, of I'm going to make someone fucking pay. And truly the better way to make someone fucking pay is to do what like the Parkland parents have done or the Newtown parents have done where it's like, we can boycott these platforms and we can call out their advertisers and take away their funding until they change how this functions. And that has proven to be a much more functional and effective system. You know, we, as we've seen with 
Twitter bleeding advertisers when it was when Elon was first doing his little oh free speech song and dance <laughs> and that meant like well maybe your crest uh, ad might show up next to someone celebrating Nazism and and Procter and Gamble said ooh um you know we're gonna save this for like radio ads you know yeah and that is and that is always. Uh, that's always the flip side of the two sides to the free speech thing, free and the freedom of association. I can be free yeah. to associate and speak. I can also be free to disassociate myself and not to speak <laughs> uh, in certain places. And like, there are other mechanisms. I think you're 100% right. And I think this is an important place to go that like, this is trying to use the legal system and the laws for questions. I think that kind of fall outside the purview. Yeah. Um, or uh, where the law can effectively address um, those problems. And like, I understand that, you know, you can't, they can't go after like the way that the Parkland parents could go after um, gun manufacturers, right? right? They can't go after Hamas. They can't right. go after ISIS. Like <laughs> they can't, like, you know, they can bring ISIS or Hamas. They can bring suit against them in a, in American court of law, but it's not like, you know, the American court uh, courts have any power to get them to pay up or anything like that. I can feel how that like sucks. So you want to hold someone accountable um, yeah. legally, but unfortunately here, uh, just because this is something that uh, you learn in the law, in, in law school and in practice and in life, just because you are harmed doesn't always mean that the law can fix it. Oh my God. The words that were just echoing in my mind were uh, of Sarah Marshall from the you are good podcast, which is like, it seems like we create the greatest legal quagmires anytime the law attempts to restore something emotional, right? Like, which is not the law's job or purpose. And like I said, I, I fully understand the impulse of wanting to punish someone and hold someone accountable in a way that hurts them, right? Um, even if it's just humiliation, right? Like, you know, humiliating Google and saying like, wow, really? You let Hamas put videos like on like, wow, we want you put ISIS videos up. I understand the impulse, but every time you look back at like a really horrific and quagmire creating and quicksand creating legal decision, I'm thinking of like the man act, for example, mm -hmm. you know, the, which is uh, also known as the white slavery act. Like what that was about was a bunch of white men who were very, very anxious about being supplanted by men of color, quote unquote, taking their women. So they created the Man Act and then put a bunch of innocent people in jail because of the attempt to restore, to restore um, whatever gets lost. I would argue nothing, but in, in the whole white male fragility thing. But we do this all the time. California has, California has this thing where uh, during their victim impact statements, they allow people to show victim impact videos. And mm -hmm. it's been proven that people who have the money to hire essentially a professional videographer to assemble these incredibly moving, because sound and image are how we move people, but they put together these incredibly emotionally moving and some might say manipulative videos. Uh, and those offenders get put away for a lot longer, way longer, harsher sentences. But if you're a family who, you know, you don't have the money to put together a 10 minute victim impact fucking mini doc about your loved one, then maybe that killer gets, you know, I don't know, 10 years, whatever. Like that is a situation where California 
God bless them, wanted to offer some kind of emotional restoration to victims of violent crimes. And what they ended up doing is, you know, creating yet another wholly stratified system of justice where, once again, whatever you have the budget for is, is uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for, is proportional to the justice that you receive. Yeah, and uh, and I want to pivot back to the victim point because this could have the unfortunate effect of actually silencing victims. Right. Um, that if let's say you are harmed um, by an employer, and right. you post on Glassdoor, right? Right. Uh, that uh, your boss uh, lied to you, screamed at you, didn't give you a promotion, right. withheld your pay, right? Don't work for this company. Under Section 230, Glassdoor can't be held liable for that. So they'll host it and it'll be there. If the person can prove that you're defaming them, then they can come after you personally. Right. But imagine a world without Section 230, they could – that Glassdoor would just be nervous about hosting any negative comments whatsoever. Right. Right? So they would just prevent your comment from ever going up. Because – no one's going to sue them over positive reviews. Right. Yeah. And, and thus, and thus their service is reduced to zero value, yes. you know? Exactly. And I, I have to say that, like I having worked with an, uh, for organizations that provide ways to do feedback for uh, employers, uh, other public individuals, stuff like that. Section 230 is a big boot because, yeah. you know, let's say you have a victim uh, of sexual harassment at work, they want to share their experience with others so they can avoid, you know, other women uh, can avoid right. working for that employer, or maybe they experienced homophobia from a boss. They yeah. want to share that so uh, the, you know, LGBTQIA folks can avoid that, that employer. It, without Section 230, you can't, no one will, you can't bring that up because you would be sued into oblivion. Right. Right. And so I think that's an important thing. Uh, especially when we're thinking about restoration for victims is that the internet is still the best way to share this kind of information. And section 230 is largely the place that makes it is largely the law that makes it possible. Yep. Um, and again, like I feel for uh, people who uh, can't get the redress that they want um, because the, 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 because of section 230, like I feel for that. I just think that uh, there are better ways to go about affecting the change. Um, and it's not just big tech companies like Meta or, uh, yeah. or Yelp or whatever, um, or Google. Uh, it's also smaller scale enterprises that seek to share information yeah. um, that would be victim, that would also be eradicated uh, by, because let's say yeah, maybe, maybe let's say see, theoretically, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, invest the money to to do the moderation uh, for all of Facebook. Maybe Facebook can do it. But yeah. like if I'm just doing a small thing for, you know, if I'm a court clerk and uh, and, and I'm trying to and I'm trying to share my story about being abused uh, um, in my job as a court clerk. Right. And I but I don't want to share it on Meta because I don't want to associate it with my name. I want to do it with some level of anonymity, with some level of privacy. I don't have yep. the money to be able to um, moderate every little thing right. uh, on the platform that I provide to investigate every single case to make sure they're telling the truth. It, it, yeah, I think that uh, 
it would do the opposite of what people wanted. I think they would wind up with an internet that had less useful information on it. Um, that would be worse, I think. Yeah, turn the internet into Pleasantville, right? Nothing's ever wrong. Like, don't don't look at the terrorists. They're they're not even there, you know. Yeah, um, <laughs> and I have to say, from my work researching uh, terrorism, um, they are very clever. Like a classic yeah. way for uh, terrorist groups to try to evade. Uh, this was back in the two thousands uh, to evade um, scrutiny by um, uh, uh, intelligence. Uh, was by creating fake dummy porn websites. Yep. Uh, which, you know, people think, you know, Islam, hardcore Islamists wouldn't use because it's like against their religion. But then on the <laughs> back end of those websites, they'd be communicating with each other and sharing information yeah. and resources. So, I mean, obviously that eventually got found out, but like it worked for a long time that um, you you won't actually accomplish the suppression of information like that um, through this sort of regulation, you'll end up creating more collateral damage. Yep. Yeah. Well, this was really, um, really fascinating and informative. I think like, this is one of those things I was just talking to a friend of mine about, uh, you know, the improvement of life happens in small incremental doses. And this is one of those things where, you know, if you, it's, it's, if we don't know about these things, we don't know how they affect our lives. You know, it's going to be harder to understand what we need to participate. Speaking of which, can I just read one really beautiful piece of legislation that's being proposed by the FTC. Maybe we can talk about it another time. The FTC has proposed a sweeping new rule that would block all non-compete clauses in labor agreements. Companies would no longer be able to limit employees' ability to work for rival employers, which is very exciting. And we should talk about that on another episode because that's one of the um, greatest uh, um, impingements to getting a raise and getting fair, um, fair work. I would love to talk about non-competes because I'm with you. They drive me insane. And um, uh, often, here's a little side tip. Often employers will slip in things that uh, clauses, non-competes that are not enforceable, but they don't believe that you will know that and that you'd be too scared to actually try to buck it. So they're putting in things sometimes they know they can't enforce. Um, They know that go against the law because they think that you're too scared and too weak um, to actually go against them. And that isn't just the case in non-competes. That's also the, often the case in like real estate, uh, the yep. rental market, stuff like that. But yes, um, God, non-competes drive me crazy. Uh, my favorite was uh, somebody who was working as a janitor um, yep. had to sign a non-compete, which... Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I heard there. of one. I heard of one because I was asked to testify... Um, in a um, uh, intellectual property case by an attorney whose client was suing an employee who had made them sign a non-compete clause at a pizza restaurant. And that employee had moved 10 miles away and essentially opened a restaurant with uh, all of their same recipes under different names. And this was a very young attorney who thought he was going to get some money off of this. And I said, Mm -hmm. ooh, I have like several bouquets of bad news for you on this front. Like... (laughs) Unfortunately, he did not violate his non-compete. And also, like, you can trademark names of things, but you cannot trademark any recipes. So, like, I think you're fucked, my guy. But, like, I believe in you. Go for it. This this is a, a fascinating situation. Also, incidentally, the first – sorry, the second uh, legal research uh, <laughs> assignment I was given uh, when I was in law school was about 
uh, uh, issues with um, recipes for uh, restaurants <laughs> and a former employee. <laughs> I know that law pretty well based on that research project. Um, oh, we should do a whole episode on this. Yeah, we should. I yeah. should get some some cook friends to join us on a little guest episode because uh, intellectual property and recipes specifically is really really fascinating. Like you can successfully win um, a suit over you know eight bars of a beat that you stole, right? Like, Mm -hmm. but you cannot, you can create a, a teaspoon for teaspoon Waldorf salad and then just call it a walnut cranberry salad and sell it for $17. You're good. You are fine. I think that'd be fantastic. I'm looking forward to that. And something else I am looking forward to is hot honey. (laughs) So I love these segues. Yeah. I I try to make them worse each time. Um, (laughs) So can you tell me a little bit about uh, your hot honey and various other metal honey products? Yes. So you can still find uh, delicious hot honey. It's, it is, I've been told by uh, hot sauce bloggers, it's the spiciest scorpion honey is the spiciest hot honey on the market that they've tried. So I'd love to send you some. You can find it at metalhoney.com. Um, you can use the coupon code perp stew. And I think that gives you free shipping, but type it in there. See what happens. I don't know. Nice. And I'm looking forward to the day when you do like a collaboration with, fuck, I can't remember the name, but I think it's like Hot Ones or whatever YouTube yeah, channel where they make celebrities eat hot wings um, That's right. while doing an interview. I'm looking forward to the uh, scorpion honey uh, themed uh, sauce making it onto that, um, onto that show uh, or something similar because honestly, <laughs> they're not, they're, nothing would make me happier uh, than watching say like, I don't know, um, Jennifer Lawrence start swearing uh, while eating a uh, scorpion honey hot wing. That would be beautiful. My my goal was for them not to be upset, but for it to be like the one like really nice one that, you know, like the one before it gets into like true pain. They're like, oh, you know, I just I kind of wish we could go back to just the hot honey one. That one was good. I'd be like, yes, yeah, that's what I mean. Like she would swear like, damn, that's good. Like, <laughs> fuck, this is an awesome wing. Right. Yeah, you so know? if you know their P.O. Box, uh, hit us up in the comments on one of our social medias, which are what? Oh, it's uh, at Perp Stew on Twitter. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. Um, and I haven't set up an Insta yet, but yeah, you can tweet at us at Perp Stew, P-E-R-P-S-T-E-W. Um, so uh, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, this has been The Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And until next time, stay curious. Bye.